The Lollygaggers podcast would like to apologize for how frequently Justin smacks his lips, lets go of his push to talk too soon, and generally just shows up for recording. We've told him to stop. In this episode, Jeff goes back for seconds with Kickstarter's RPG Zine Quest, while Justin looks at Birds of Prey and goes, meh. Both Lollygaggers then discuss the newly crowned best pitcher of the year, Parasite. Welcome to episode number 80 of the Lollygaggers podcast, a show about all sorts of different things, from comics to games, movies to TV. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. I'm the other one, Justin. How's it going, pal? Justin, 80. We're octogenarians. We're super old. I still like to refer to it as 69 plus... uh, 69 plus 11. (laughs) I should have just put that in all the titles. I wonder how iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts would have handled that, uh, putting that in there. So, Hey, did you watch any of the Academy Awards last night? No, I just watched like the sum up of them all. Yeah. I don't even know what June is. So the fact that Renee Zellweger won a, a, a an award for that, I don't know how to feel about it. I've never even heard of it. Never seen a single poster or description of it. Right. Um, so that one's curious to me. Um, but how how just... timely were we to pick Parasite for this week? I tell you. <laughs> Perfect timing. Um, oh my gosh, just won everything. I was oh, so I was only a little upset the fact that Avengers didn't get special effects, but that's about it. Yeah, um, everything else I thought was good, like Walking Phoenix, Joker. I mean, I can't think of anyone else who did a better job mm-hmm. uh, with the lead actor role. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I didn't see Marriage Story, so I couldn't see Laura, Laura Dern's uh, uh, performance because I don't want to be depressed about my own marriage. So it reminds me. Do you remember? Netflix. Do you remember that movie years ago with Ryan Gosling uh, and Michelle Williams called? Uh, it's like Blue something or other. It wasn't Blue Velvet. Blue Valentine, maybe it was. And it was just like super depressing, and like it was a, another relationship story, and it just kind of made you feel bad by the end. I mean, it was a great movie. Don't get me wrong, but like it just you feel bad. It's like one of those. I don't know. Like Requiem for a I Dream. Kind of feel bad to at the be end. Around my spouse, you know, yeah. I don't want to sit there and be like, you know what? She's been saying the same thing for like 20 years. So, you know, it hasn't stopped her. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Other than that, like nothing really surprised me too much, but uh, I think Parasite was probably the most surprising thing. I'm so happy that it happened. Partly because I was just basically rooting for it because I didn't see all the movies, but the fact that it won, I was just like, I just watched this a couple weeks ago. It was fantastic. Love his other movies that I've seen of his. So I was like super excited, but we'll, we'll touch on Parasite later. We got some other things to talk about here and there. Uh, Justin, if I could direct your attention once more to our uh, our general chat over on the old uh, Discord, uh, I want to walk through a couple more uh, RPG zines. Now it's time for a little role play. Wait, nope, nope. That's the wrong role play. Or zines. I don't know. I still am not entirely sure how to pronounce that word, and it drives me nuts. But anyway. Uh, just like in episode 79, what's going on, on on Kickstarter during the month of February is just like this little zine or zine quest, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, and it's just a bunch of small creators developing small run projects, usually low funding counts, uh, quick turnaround time, results in a small uh, a small physical product in PDFs that are associated with it, has to do something with tabletop RPGs, could be a setting, uh, could be a whole game. Uh, could be an adventure for an existing game, etc. So I talked about a couple last week that uh, I was really excited about. So you can check out episode 79 if you haven't already. And I got a few more I want to cover today. 
Uh, and I also want to cover just one other game that's not necessarily part of this sign quest, but is still up on Kickstarter RPG related. Uh, so yeah. So the first one I got Justin uh, peeking at. Uh, just let's take a look at On the Shoulders of Colossus. Right, Did you ever right. play Shadow of the Colossus? Uh, you, you, you ever play I it? played it maybe for a couple hours when PS2 was like, because it was a PS2 game, right? Or PS3 game? Yeah, it was PS2, and then I think it got re-released. Yeah. So uh, the Shadow Shadow of the Colossus, uh, it came out on PS2, was eventually re-released in like HD format on PS PS3, uh, and there's been there was one other game on PS4 whose name I am blanking on right now, which was sort of the same folks who did it. Uh, it was a little bit different, but the premise of Shadows Shadow of the Colossus was that like you were fighting gigantic colossal creatures, like enormous creatures. Uh, and you're on, you know, you're, you're just a person on a horse and you're trying to figure out ways to kind of combat them. That's like, I'm, I'm oversimplifying it, but that's effectively uh, what it is. Uh, so this particular campaign is sort of inspired by that kind of concept, which is, can they create, uh, can they create adventures or a system of, of colossi uh, for use in tabletop RPG games. Uh, one of the reasons I was actually drawn to this isn't just of just because of the basic theme or the, the kind of the idea around it, but also because one of the things that they're going to be doing is they're going to have like OSR rule set or kind of instructions or details for how to convert some of these colossi to an OSR set. And I play Zweihander, which is basically OSR, basically old school renaissance, like the specific way of these games being played to us. So that's pretty cool. Like there's a this is there's a whole like a description and kind of the inspiration behind the the story, uh the gray road uh is what's described. I can't read it all obviously, but you should definitely take a look at it. Um there's a lot of rumination on the idea of of can you play towards moral complication and whether or not D&D allows for that. Uh D&D Dungeons and Dragons obviously. Uh and how this particular campaign is sort of exploring ways uh, to answer some of those questions, or at the very least, to create a kind of a subsystem or a, a sub game within a game uh, that you can then use. Uh, I really like the look of it. I really like the idea of the kind of the the various uh, colossi that they've created. They have like this little map that they the first of all they funded, and then for every additional hundred bucks that they they have gained towards their goal, they've added additional colossi. So there's Quadratus, there's Gaius, there's Phaedra, Avion, Barba. Uh, Hydras. And by the way, when I saw her Barba, I kept thinking it was Barbara. And so I'm like, is it the woman from Stranger Things? But it's it's Barba. There's there's no extra R. Hydras, uh, Kuromori, uh, Basarin. Uh, right now they're on their way to Dirge, and there is looks like three more, possibly uh, even more than that afterwards. Uh, so these are again, these are giant creatures and sort of instructions or details for how to incorporate this into some of your games. Uh, this is running for another few days, so it runs around to around uh, February 15th. So we're dropping this episode on the 12th, so you're going to only have about 72 hours to turn around. Uh, the goal has already been met. It's met 1500 bucks of a $600 goal, uh, so it's well past it, and it's just at this point creating new content uh, each time around. There's a few different pledge levels. There's a $7 pledge, which gets you a PDF, and also your name is added to an NPC list that they're creating for the game. Uh, there's also a $10 version, which also gets you a physical copy, uh, which again is a small product. It's not a huge hardbound book. It's soft cover. It's soft, you know, usually stapled or bound in some way. 
Uh, all of this is due in April 2020. So again, a nice fast turnaround. Uh, and it's a way of it's a way of either kind of playing, you know, these this kind of game sort of independently using the Colossi or finding ways to perhaps take some of these things and inject them into your own existing campaign. Uh, so if you're a big fan of, uh, you know, of the Shadow of the Colossi, then definitely take a look at, uh, excuse me, Shadow of the Colossus. Uh, take a look at On the Shoulders of Colossus because it looks pretty, pretty fun. Uh, the next one, Justin, if uh, I could again draw your attention right, okay. to, our, uh, right. to our to our tech, you, you're looking, you're looking, you're looking. Okay. okay. Next one is called uh, Green Dawn Mall. Okay. This one's also got a pretty fast turnaround. Uh, this one is created by, and this is French, uh, so I'm going to screw this up, but I'm going to say Come Martin. Let's go with that. Uh, so they have created two uh, Kickstarters so far, and they have a fairly uh, fairly active back. Uh, backing history, which is really nice to see, uh, but this is an this is another independent game. Uh, so it's a very simple its own it's its own system. Uh, there's also art. There's some pretty cool art and illustration by somebody online who goes by Mometos or tom- like Tomatoes, but with an M instead of a T. Uh, so this is an RPG, a little small game about teens exploring a quote endless mall. Uh, but it's not just like endless; it's like distorted and gets weirder and weirder the deeper and further that you delve into the mall. Make it stranger, and you encounter all sorts of weird stuff. So, like, ideally, the game is for one GM and then three to five players. So, pretty standard stuff. Uh, and the game is sort of revolving around stories, and each story is between six and eight hours. So, for me, since our you know our time t- when we play, it's usually somewhere between about three and five hours that we do in a session, depending upon whether we're playing online or if we're playing in person. We're looking at somewhere between two to three shots. So instead of like a one shot session, it's maybe like a like a, the same the same adventure over the course of maybe three sessions or two sessions. Uh, so that's pretty cool. I, I definitely am interested since we're starting to explore playing games on Twitch more often. Uh, these shorter run adventure type games and especially indie uh, indie driven games. So the game itself, they they promised to have it focus more on exploration and interaction with the environment and your surroundings within the mall. And not so much on combat. So this isn't really like this this heavy combat strategic game. Uh, it's more about strangeness is what they what they're sort of describing and like the oddity of this weird, perhaps somewhat surrealistic and strange mall as opposed to like something horrific uh, that's driven by terror or anything like that. Uh, there's a complete set of mechanisms for how the game is played, including like a handful of traits. Uh, it's a D6 dice pool system. Uh, where you roll based upon your traits and the items that you have on you uh, between one and six die uh, dice to uh, to complete a, t- a test. And if you roll a five or a six, you pass. This is a pretty, there's other games that use a very similar system. So, uh, and it's also super accessible. It's just D6. And a lot of people have these things. If you just look in some of your board games or just around around the house, you might already have a few. Uh, so you don't need to buy anything extra. Uh, now, damage is called harm as opposed to just damage and unlike some other more standard ttrpg fare you're not really worrying about hit points and doing math uh, or you know instead it's all handled fairly abstractly and narratively where you have different tiers of how severe your harm is uh, i'm a big fan of these types of damage tracks in our zweihander game we have a damage threshold track uh, and then also in some of the like in the Shinobagami game that we've been playing recently, damage is really like about your access to skills. And then uh, in some of the free league games that I like, that, that I, I like, like, uh, like things, things from the flood and stuff. Uh, it's not, it's more about like how, like how rattled your character is as opposed to just having a numerical value. So really like that kind of concept too. 
Uh, there's a bunch of random environmental generation that they're promising in this system. So the GM gets to get surprised as well as you roll some stuff. Uh, there's D6 for all sorts of different types of generation. Uh, there's in the, they're promising in the book itself, you get a, a, this detailed description and background of the Green Dawn, Dawn Mall, including 36 stores. So like actual stores within the mall that are going to have modular descriptions that you can kind of mix and move. So if you play uh, at two different stories, they're not going to have the exact same layout or you're not going to have the exact same stores so much. There's going to be uh, over 252 NPCs uh, and, quote, odd beings to populate them all. Uh, there's a bunch of different factions as well that co that cohabit them all. And there's a, apparently a, a few different ways that you can end a session, including a confrontation with what they call the heart of the mall, uh, which I think is just Orange Julius, but that's just me. Uh, do you remember Orange Julius? Did you ever go to Orange Julius? Were you uh, yeah, but I think it was like paired with like Dairy Queen or something. And, and when you say yeah. heart of the mall, I just think of the South Park episode about Walmart. We must go to the heart. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Did you hang out at the mall a bunch when you were a kid? When you were like a teenager um, or something? Yeah, it was towards the bottom end of its popularity. Though. It wasn't as like big as like when you were a kid. Because you're yeah. an old, old piece of crap. I'm still a young little boy, so I don't. I'm not. Yeah, I look younger though. Sharp. Anyway, so uh, yeah, I didn't spend a ton of time. <laughs> there. Uh, we, I used to. Ha- I didn't hang out there a bunch, but I did uh, when Mortal Kombat Two came out because our we had a pretty big arcade in the mall. And so we would hang out there and do like little tournaments there. So I played a lot of uh, Mortal Kombat 2 there. It was awesome. Uh, so anyway, uh, Green Dawn Mall seems really cool. I like it's got kind of a Stranger Things vibe to it. I was thinking like the most recent ep- most recent season of Stranger Things. Part of it took place in a mall, <laughs> like the whole major like climax of the story took place in a mall. So this is definitely giving me those types of vibes. Uh, it's pretty cheap. Two bucks can get you the text only version of the game. So you don't, you don't get any of that cool art. Uh, but six bucks gets you a PDF and the stretch goals and 14 bucks can get you the PDF stretch goals in a printed version. Uh, it should be PDF in April, print in May. And the campaign also ends soon, just like uh, just like on the shoulders of the Colossus. Uh, it's February 15th, so you won't have a whole lot of time to turn around. And then I got one more. And this one's not so much tied in with the RPG uh, Zine Quest. Instead, it's just an RPG that's up on Kickstarter. Uh, and I really have the, I liked it. So. Uh, this one I caught a couple weeks ago. Uh, it's called Cobwebs. Uh, this one ends on February 21st. Um, Cobwebs is is kind of interesting because on the one hand, uh, it's it's a game that that's definitely TTRPG, but it's giving me board game vibes at the same time. So it's ca- taking certain components of of kind of a a board game because there's there's like a board that you look at like with this little spirally pie, like pie chart thing, and that you roll dice on, and where you actually roll matters. So there's a little of those components in there. Uh, But there's two things that drew me to it. First, this is a GM-less game, meaning that there is no game master necessary. So this game is for three to five players. Uh, It's built for three, but then there's systems to add a fourth and a fifth player on top of it. And there's uh, basically three different roles in the game. There's the darling, uh, there's the shadow, and there's the machine. So the darling is like a person investigating uh, whatever mystery or conspiracy is at the heart of that particular uh, that particular session, uh, then the shadow are, is basically he, you know he or she who controls the NPCs, and then there's the machine, which is like controlling the environment, the setting, and organizing various things. Uh, sounds most traditionally the GM, but since the shadow is controlling NPCs, it's kind of an interesting mix. And those roles rotate, so every every player takes one of those roles. 
And as the game progresses, they rotate around. So no singular person has full knowledge of what the story is about, which is pretty fascinating. Uh, now, the game itself thematically is kind of a conspiracy, neo-noir mystery type thing going on is how they're describing it. They referenced a one of my favorite uh, podcasts, one of my favorite serial fictional podcasts called Tannis uh, in their description. So if you enjoy podcasts like Limetown and Tannis, and I like them both, and Justin, I think I required you to actually listen to Limetown once, and they just recently... I think on Facebook made Limetown into a TV show with uh, with Jessica Biel. Haven't watched it yet, uh, but I'm a huge fan of those both of those podcasts. It also references a comic that I'm going to start reading as well called Mind Management. Mind MGMT. Have you ever heard of that, Justin? No, I've not. I don't, I don't well, I have. I have downloaded it and I am ready to read it on Comicsology because it is on Comicsology Unlimited. So I'm definitely going to take a look at that, and I'll probably talk about it uh, on an episode in the next coming weeks but there's also references to like lovecraftian stuff and like i'm getting like x-files vibes and stuff here and there too because anytime i hear conspiracy that's what i think of uh which is really really uh really really cool uh the game itself comes have has like a cloth play mat that you can get with one of the pledge levels that tracks danger time and characters that you meet and your level of trust towards those elements and what's really interesting is that there is the way that 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 pie chart effectively is laid out is it's not just what you roll like meaning the the numerical values on the dice that you roll at certain points throughout the game but it's also where they end up landing on that chart which is kind of interesting and that can trigger various prompts and scenes uh that you have to then figure out collaboratively uh so it's an rpg that definitely takes some risks and is doing things differently uh, definitely dropping the traditional GM in favor of finding a way to make the 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 expectation of the role of the GM, like the requirements, the work of the GM, uh, spread across multiple players is kind of interesting. Uh, I'm always looking for collaborative storytelling RPGs that don't have a ton of crunch and allows me to incorporate them in like maybe some of my writing classes from time to time. So I'm certainly curious about how this might work out. Uh, so cobwebs it looks really really cool it ends on february 21st um trying to take a look at the pricing here but for some reason my kickstarter keeps showing up in italian i don't i don't know why this is why is my kickstarter am i being am, am i being hacked by like luigi or some shit right now this is crazy okay so there's the pdf tier which is 12 bucks gets you the pdf stuff uh everything you need to print out yourself there's the 25 dollar tier which gives you the physical copy. Uh, and then there's a $60 limited one uh, that gets you a bunch of fancy stuff. So you get a one-of-a-kind quick start scenario written by the game designer, Adam uh, Adam Voss. Uh, so some pretty cool stuff, some interesting little artwork, uh, definitely reaching and pushing the boundaries of what uh, I've seen in some TPT RPGs. So take a look on Kickstarter. All of these things are looking pretty cool. They're all throughout the course of February. It's a very healthy month for TPT RPGs up on Kickstarter right now. So that's what I got going on, Justin. What about you? So I decided that because I have a problem when it comes to video games, that it might be, or sorry, not video games, comic books, that it might be within my best interest to go watch uh, Birds of Prey. So when you say you have a problem with comic books, can you be more specific? I like them too much despite their faults. Is that better? Oh. Ah, I like them too. I'm enjoying. I've been reading a bunch of them. I'm reading a superhero comic too. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna surprise you. I'm gonna talk to you about it later. But like, uh, you'll see. But anyway, continue. Birds of prey. Like a major title, 
I'm, I'm serious. Um, man. it's. I think it's big, but it's probably not as big as like, hey, I'm reading some Iron Man comics yeah. or I'm reading some Captain America comics. Like, but it's definitely a superhero one, and I'm fascinated by it. Uh, and and there's a logical reason why I'm reading it. And we'll come back to it maybe in a couple episodes. When I'm right, so I uh, decided to go watch Birds of Prey. I was going to watch it on Friday, but then uh, it started snowing like crazy. It snowed like 15 inches this weekend, so we kept on getting interrupted by different reasons why we couldn't go. So I actually went this afternoon right after work. And um, so Birds of Prey, it's, it's called Birds of Prey. And the fantabulous emancipation of the one of one Harley Quinn, right? And so it is directed by Kathy Yan. Uh, it has writer Christina Hodson, and it stars Margot Robbie. It has uh, Rosie Perez, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Journey Smollett Bell. Which the whole time I was watching the movie, I'm like, where have I seen this girl before? And she's been on uh, 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 what's the Full House and all the Cosby shows and stuff when she was little. She was like the I don't know if you ever watched Full House when when you were younger but it was like michelle's here and there not a ton michelle when she was older like when she was like maybe like 10 or 9 it was like michelle's uh little friend little black friend that she had that would show up around the house all the time i was like where have i seen this person before I'm like oh she's part of my childhood that's why um wow yeah. man cut it out cut are you serious out. um wow. yeah <laughs> also cool. stars uh ewan mcgregor as a uh, black mask who's the the titular villain of this movie. So to know a little bit about Birds of Prey, uh, Birds of Prey originally had nothing to do with Harley Quinn. Uh, just recently in the comic books, she's kind of been in the actual Birds of Prey comics. And you think Birds of Prey, that must have something to do with lots of different types of birds. Well, Jeffrey, would you like to guess how many characters in the Birds of Prey are actually bird style? I don't know, but when I saw Birds of Prey, I definitely was thinking of like Arrow and uh, like Black Canary and stuff like that. I was thinking like, well, wasn't there yes, like a group? Sure, um, it is just yeah. Black Canary. Isn't that part? But there's it? like four members, and okay. the only one that's an actual bird is Black Canary, which is very interesting. Um, so why they call Birds of Prey? I don't know. Like, originally, in the comic book, it was Oracle, who's a Batgirl who was shot by. Right, by Joker right. and became paralyzed. There's actually a TV show became paralyzed, in like yeah. the early 2000s that had it too. Um, it lasted like a season and got uh, canceled. It has Huntress. Wasn't that like paired? I think it's paired with like the Killing Joke yes. too. Um, yeah. Like at some point. Yeah, on like the animated movie. Yeah, thing, yeah. so it, had, it has Huntress, it has Black Canary, it has Harley Quinn, and it has a very young Batgirl who's, play, who's uh, Cassie Kane, um, who's played... Hey, Huntress was on Arrow she as was, well. Yeah. So. Um, so there is some links there, things you might be able to recognize. But yeah, well, I definitely recognize some many, most, uh, pretty much all the characters that yeah. you just mentioned. The yeah. story. But you're right. A, a bat is not a. Is not or a, a Huntress or a, a Joker esque villain. Whoa. So it's really interesting okay. how when it came up with Birds of Prey. Okay. Uh, so basically. I wonder, I wonder what their rationale is. The story is, is that. Harley Quinn has been dumped by the Joker. You never actually see the Joker in this movie. There's assumptions that it's the same Joker from because it's in the same universe as Suicide Squad. There's a couple sure. of references. So it's Jared Leto's yes. Jared Leto's However, Joker. every time they like she has drawings of him in the beginning of the movie as a cartoon sequence, it looks very much like the traditional cartoon Joker. You know, the well 
non-tattooed. I'll say this. If, if it's Jared Leto's Joker that she split with, boy, is she better off? Like, because gosh, he's just an awful Joker. It's, it's, it's pretty awful. awful. And it's really strange. I feel like they're trying their best as DC's, you know, I think they're trying their best to kind of like, let's forget that ever happened because everybody hated it, but everybody loved Joaquin Phoenix Joker. So clearly this new risky idea we took didn't take it all, which so I feel like they're trying to like get rid of that. Anyways, how can I describe this movie? This movie is just female Deadpool. That's all it is, um, which is extremely disappointing because they're basically, she talks to the camera. There's lots of hip, cool music. Um, let me redo that because my phone just buzzed. Okay, fix is here because Justin's got to restart. Check the last couple seconds. That's a note for me. All right, whenever you're ready. So it's pretty much female Deadpool, which is it's very disappointing because obviously she's not the same. She's not a mutant. She doesn't have all these crazy powers. She's not invincible. But the style of the movie is pretty much the style of Deadpool. A disjointed uh, telling of a story, lots of fourth wall breaking. She's smarmy and silly and ridiculously talented in everything she does. And she's a smart ass, which is pretty much what Deadpool is, you know, even though the fact that, you know, he can have his head cut off and he's still regenerating and stuff like that. She doesn't have those abilities. No one really in this movie has any special abilities, except at the very end, there is a thing with uh, Black Canary. But if you know anything about like Arrow or anything about DC with Black Canary involved, you know she has a really strong voice and she can scream really loud, basically. Um, that's like her big ability. So that's not really a surprise. The way she kind of narrates the story is silly and weird, which is fun, but I saw it happen four years ago, five years ago, with Deadpool. So it feels like this movie is just like five years too late. Margot Robbie is probably the most, is the least interesting character out of all of them. She does an okay job of being Harley Quinn, but she's not terribly interesting. Rosie Perez plays uh, Renee Montoya, who is a titular like cop character in the batman universe um and i thought she was pretty interesting but she was still very uh generic and not terribly explored mary elizabeth winstead plays uh the huntress who has probably the coolest backstory because she's basically female batman except her parents were mob bosses instead of being you know members of society like you know like positive members of society um she was very interesting but Again, barely explored her backstory. Um, Cassandra Kane, who's played by uh, Ella J. Basco, who is like uh, a young Asian girl, which also had a parallel to like Deadpool Two, where he was helping out that uh, the the um, what's the 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 dude from New, yeah, Zealand. New Zealand kid, because it's pretty much a yeah. cat and mouse movie where she's running away, someone's trying to get at her. And she's also trying to save this kid. And it's all, it's pretty much the same formula as Deadpool 2. Ewan McGregor was good, but at a certain point, he was a little bit ridiculous. And the way his character ended is such a uh, non exclamation point. It's just like, all right, I guess that's it. It's, it's very disappointing. Now, he probably didn't have the high ground. As well as, yeah, yeah, yeah. Down. Um, so, yeah. I'm looking at these reviews for this movie. IMDb gives it like a 80% Ron Tomatoes. Uh, yeah, that's that's the yeah. question here. 
IMDb gives it a 6.7%. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 80%. It does not deserve that at all. There's nobody in the theater. When we were when we tried to plan for tickets multiple times this weekend, there mm. was tons of seats open. We tried it Friday, Saturday, it Sunday. Was, it was snowing 15 inches, you did say. What would you say? Yeah, sure. I mean, you did say it was snowing 15 sure, inches. but I'm so also I mean, not like, like, skilled in this. Other people are. So, and and it's just one of those things where it's like, I don't know why it's so well reviewed. I feel like it barely got any press. Like it didn't get much of like a, a trailer release and stuff like that. I didn't know very much about this. Now, obviously, I, I try and pull myself away from it a little bit because I try to stay away from trailers now. But it's just very strange, and I feel like it's going to be a giant sure. hit. I don't feel like it's going to be successful at all. So, Well, I mean, I'm looking at... It's interesting because like, at least the critical reviews are pretty in line with the audience reviews. 80% tomato meter uh, for critics, and then 81% audience score. I mean, that's that's rare. Like, I remember when yeah. we were just talking about Star Wars like a month or two ago. Like That was completely inverted, where audience scores was like one thing and then you know critic score was the complete opposite so uh do you know how much it's it made in, in its it was weekend? 40 million it was just not it's it's very very bad for how much money they put into it now on top of it the director that they put in charge of it has only done three other movies or or two other movies in her entire career so it seems very much like low risk you know because they, they that happens sometimes they'll find someone who's either not a high risk, kind of an unknown name. If they, you know, this could be their their explosion directorial debut, right? Debut, right? Like when you think about Iron Man, you know, at the time John Favreau wasn't that tested of a director. He had done a few things, but he wasn't a huge director. And Robert Downey Jr. had a terrible uh, falling in his career and was kind of coming back through Iron Man. So that was kind of a formula that they used for that. But this just seemed so so strange like they didn't really try too much the movie's very formulaic very predictable none of the characters are fleshed out at all except for harley quinn um and you want to see these characters more fleshed out you want to see Mary, uh uh elizabeth winston's uh character hunters a lot more and like what's going on with her but all you get is just a dumbass acting like a dumbass the whole time and it's funny for the first little bit i know i'm a fan of deadpool but I find Ryan Reynolds' portrayal of Deadpool way more entertaining than this. And they made it rated R so they can make it as, you know, vulgar as possible. And they do it right off the bat. And it just seems weird um, seeing how everything before this was was very PG-13. Uh, there's kids in the theater and Harley Quinn's, you know, very kiddie. It's just very strange how this whole movie is put together put out and how it's being reviewed because i did not i would not have given it 80 i'd give it maybe a a 60 to 70 i thought that the the imdb is very accurate to what i saw i mean even metacritic has it around 60 i'm looking around looking at the box office numbers it had a budget of 84 and a half mil and opening weekend in the usa was 33 mil and the cumulative worldwide gross is at 79 so it's not great. I mean, it's not. It's not a. It's not a flop, but it's. It's definitely not great. It's, it's just probably a little. I mean, that's kind of a very weird. Like. I, I just felt strange, and the movie yeah. just wasn't. Like the movie's fine. the The fighting choreography sucks. These these people that are involved with it are being involved in this fight 
a hundred percent for probably a good 20 minutes. And it's like nothing happens the whole time. You know what I mean? And they don't have any special powers. And I just felt like that type of fight choreography was a little bit lacking in my, I understand it's, it's a, it's a comic book movie, but it kind of took away from my suspension of disbelief, I guess a little bit. Cause I, I do like the, the uh, daredevil thing where it's like, I'm fighting and I'm clearly exhausted. Right. And like you can kind of give a pass like Captain America because he's superhuman, and he has like super. Even though like in uh, Infinity War and all stuff, he's exhausted. But like I just felt it felt mm-hmm. very unbelievable the all the sequences, and they were just so boring. Like, There's nothing really interesting okay. happening. I really liked all the characters. I don't know. I haven't seen the movie, so I can't speak to it. But I I will say that I do think the t- just judging only from. The, the the trailers that I've seen, like I think the tone of the movie is totally different. Like when we're talking about Daredevil, we're talking about trying to make superheroes realistic in modern society. When we're talking about Birds of Prey and Suicide Squad and stuff like that, we're talking sure, about sure, tone sure. and style. Like it's a stylized sure. representation of it. And so, I I I mean I, I think what you're what you're looking at if from at least from that perspective, it's like you just prefer this kind of style as opposed to that sure, kind and, of style. And you're, you know? and you're probably right. You're probably right. I, maybe I'm trying to find something that doesn't need to be there um it just didn't meet your expectations like you had expectations for one thing and i mean that's fine there's nothing wrong with that like if it's just not your thing it's just not your thing but overall i thought like the movie's fine i'm not trashing it it's fine but i i I, it felt so close to like a deadpool where it's like i've seen this before if it came out if uh if suicide squad never happened and this was the first one it would have been fantastic. But then you're also kind of like, they, they also kind of brought back to Suicide Squad a bunch, which was a train wreck. They even have like can, like little cameo things of like Captain Boomerang and stuff in it. Like he's not there, but he's like on a poster and stuff like that. And it's just like, man, if that didn't exist and it was just twisted in tone a little bit from from that original thing, I think it could have been a little bit better. I think this is the, another another product of the mistakes that they made in the past and then trying to clean it up a little bit. I look forward very much to Wonder Woman. I saw that preview came out beforehand. I just, it just looks like super much, super fun. And it's got a lot of stuff that I like this comic book nerd. I see like, she's got like the comic book I had you read where they're all in the future. They had like that outfit and stuff like that. in it too. Kingdom come. Is uh, that what it was? Yeah. Kingdom, yeah they yeah. had the kingdom come outfit and stuff. So there's a lot of stuff in there that like, I'm really looking forward to. And everything I'm hearing about the Batman looks, sounds fantastic. I mm-hmm. just, I don't know if this is a, if she's a great fit for, I would love the Birds of Prey book that, or Birds of, Birds of Prey in that book, movie that was Oracle and all of them. I just think she, she kind of like overshone everybody else. I would have seen more people, mm. you know, pop a little more. That's it, about it, but okay. yeah. So it seemed like it was supposed to be like more of a mashup group up, but it ended up being just like it's a just a Harley Quinn movie. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's, a, it's a Harley okay. Quinn movie. In the- Had it been billed as a Harley Quinn movie, maybe that would have better calibrated your expectations going in and you're gonna be like yeah. okay well that makes sense i mean it i mean it has her name the title like, now, understandably her name is sure title like it, but yeah, it's in the sub yeah the subtitle when the big thing is birds of prey is like oh cool i don't get to see right. like black canary i get to see hunters and all that'd be really cool yeah. so i think maybe i just went and thinking something else was gonna happen that's what i got that's my uh mixed review okay. of birds of prey so all right yeah. i mean i'll definitely you know, we'll, we'll cycle back once uh, once I see it. I don't know when or if I'm going to go see it in theaters. Uh, so I might it might just be a couple months. But 
Uh, I would say save this for like a rental or HBO. It's not something that you really need to go I'll probably, right you know, out. Necessarily. I don't think I'm going to go when see we, it in theaters. I'm too damn busy out, right now. So When we saw Knives Out, I was like, see that right now. Right. That's important to go see. Fair enough. This one, I'm like, you can wait. You can definitely wait. And speaking of another movie that you should all go see right now if you haven't seen it already, Justin and I are about to talk about Parasite. So hang on. It's the movie. Breakdown. So as we alluded to at the start of the episode, Jensen and I uh, dumb lucked into some wonderful timing, uh, mainly because we were going to do key and lock or lock it. What the hell is it again? Is it lock and key? Did I do it backwards? Lock I did backwards. Key. It's lock, lock and key. key. That makes more sense. Key and lock, that, that's a comedy skit show on uh, Comedy Central. That's key and peel. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we were going to do that, but we're like, I don't know if we can marathon all the episodes uh, in like four days. Uh, so we want to talk about Parasite because I just watched it a couple weeks ago and I said, Justin, you got to go watch this because uh, it's awesome. Uh, and if you didn't know, last night, so that's uh, February 9th, it's the day before we recorded this, uh, Parasite cleaned up at the Oscars. Uh, it was pretty awesome. It won the Best Picture at the Academy Awards. It's the first time I think a non-English speaking like uh, movie uh, actually won, which is which is great. Uh, Bong Joon-ho, the, uh, the director, won for Best Director and for Best Original Screenplay because he was the writer on it as well. And this one for best international feature film. He had a really hilarious line where he's just like, uh, he's like, yeah, after I won the best international feature film, I thought I can just relax and my day was over. And then he just kept winning awards. Uh, and I'm, 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 I'm super happy because uh, I love this movie. Uh, he's also done some other movies like Snowpiercer and The Host, uh, Mother. I haven't seen that one. Uh, and Okja. I haven't seen that one either, but I've heard good things about both. But Snowpiercer and The Host are great. So anyway, quick here's a quick premise for Parasite. Uh, there's, a family, the Kim family, they're a group of unemployed kind of grifter types that are struggling to get by in modern Korea. They're living in a below street level home. There's a specific Korean word for it, but I won't try to pronounce it because I suck at it. Uh, they're barely able to afford to keep their phones connected, and they're basically living off scraps for food. They're uh, they're busy trying to fold a bunch of pizza boxes and sell the boxes uh, to the to a local pizza place or something like that. Uh, but eventually the son, uh, Ki-woo, uh, is offered a private tutoring opportunity by a friend of his who is going abroad, and his friend has been working as a private tutor for a, ver for a very wealthy family, uh, and so he wants to help him out. Like, here, you can take over for it. So the family quickly scrambles to ensure that he gets the job, so ensures that he is hired. So they use some of their kind of con people, grifter-type abilities. So they forge some documents, they develop an alternative identity, that kind of stuff. Uh, so the job, like I said, is for a wealthy family, the Park family, and their matriarch, the mother of that family, is a bit oblivious, and she's kind of prone to being taken advantage of. Uh, they have two kids. One's an older daughter uh, who needs help learning English, which is what uh, Ki-woo is going to teach uh, teach her, or, or at least tutor her with. And there's also a son who is kind of uh, artistic uh, that becomes uh, a, a, a way for the, to get more of the family in uh, into this wealthy, uh, wealthy family's orbit. Uh, so... Once Kiwu gets a foothold within the family with the job, other jobs start to become available, including as an art teacher for the for the boy and a couple other things. And then either organically or via the Kim family's manipulation of the situation, uh, more and more parts of the family start to gain access to this wealthy Park family and to kind of live off them like a parasite. So as the, as the Kim family continues to con the Parks, there's a variety of new complications that emerge that threaten this newfound li livelihood they had and even... Uh, their very lives. Uh, it gets really interesting, especially halfway through. There's this awesome turn. 
Uh, so that's about it. Uh, let's talk for like maybe five minutes really quick, Justin, and then we'll go full spoiler. So like just broadly speaking, uh, without without kind of, you know, spoiling anything for people, what did you think of this? So I, I we went into this. I, I haven't really even seen a preview. Um, all I've heard is like a lot of good talk about people saying what they thought about it, but I haven't really heard anything of the movie. I've heard, hey, there's a pretty cool twist. There's some cool stuff in it. The guy, it's the movie's fantastic. It's brilliant, all that stuff. So I went in with kind of high expectations. Um, I thought it was a good movie. Um, me personally, I thought the best movie of the year was Knives Out. But that's just me personally. Um, I can see why this has uh, a bigger calling because there is a lot of, I guess, um, met- like the whole movie is a metaphor for classism, right? The whole thing, like every inch of this movie has to do with the poor and the rich. That's what it all has to do with. Um, and I, I love the performance by uh, Kang Ho Song. He was also the lead and the host. And I was like, man, where have I seen this guy before? And I was like, oh, because I love the host. And he's in it too. Um, and I think that he did a fantastic job. Um, I thought the son, uh, uh, I think his name's uh, Sukuni. No, that's Park. Uh, I forget the name of the son. The, I am not going uh, to attempt. Uh, oh, it's Kim. The, yeah. the son Kim. Um, well, the whole I family's thought, name is is Kim. Yeah. So, so he's he's Kiwu. So I thought yeah, Kiwu, yeah. he he was very interesting. I thought it was really interesting how they kind of they his friend like he's a good person and his friend wants just to help him. Because he understands his his home situation, he just wants to see him kind of get out of these garbage slums. And I thought the story of what they were doing was really interesting. The kind of like how they kind of manipulate the situation, cool and fun. Uh, like how they kind of like how, first of all, first off, how they get the driver out of there, um, which is not so much fun, just interesting. And then how they get rid of the the housekeeper, which was really interesting too. Um, the twist is is um, something I'll tell you that, and um, the end of the movie is is quite quite shocking. Uh, but uh, I I enjoyed it. Uh, I was wrapped in the whole time. The cinematography is beautiful. There are some shots in this movie where the cinematography is just stunning. There's the one shot where their area is flooding. And it's like a top shot going across the street and you see the, the crossing of the power lines and you see the water below as they're walking through it. Some of the shots in the movie are just gorgeous. Every time they show that backyard, that backyard is a very important thing. Yeah, and it, sure. it kind of like foreshadows what's happening later, what's going to happen later on in the movie. Because that backyard is an important part of the movie. That big window shot every time they had it was just, it's just so perfect. I thought it was just a lot of really, really cool things happening visually in the movie um, when they were kind of exploring the space of what's. I enjoyed it a lot. I don't want to. I can't really talk too much more about it unless we start going to spoilers. So, so yeah, my about... my quick thoughts then before we just sort of break out of break into spoilers is that I think this movie is fantastic. Uh, I I am totally fine and happy that it won. I know Knives Out wasn't even nominated, and that kind of sucks. Because I also think that was a wonderful movie. We we reviewed it. There's plenty of other really good movies. It's so hard to get like, you know, it's so hard because there's just there's so many fa- fantastic films that come out every year. But I'm super happy that this won, and I think it was well deserved. Now this movie, uh, if you are familiar with the the director, and if he, Justin mentioned the host, but he also did Snowpiercer, he also did Mother and Okja and everything. A lot of his movies that, that we've referred to are, are somewhat genre. So Snowpiercer kind of science fiction, post-apocalyptic. We got 
uh, mother, or excuse me, not mother. Uh, the Okja one is like kind of fantastical children's story. There's that big kind of hippopotamus type creature. Uh, then if you look at, uh, if you look at the host, it's basically a horror movie essentially. Um, so I, I, going into this movie, like I, I should, I mean, everyone should know that this is not some sort of supernatural, crazy, crazy thing that's going on here. This is a very straight, not when I say straightforward, that's not right. This is a very realistic portrayal of classism within a society. And so it's fascinating how this works out because what I really thought was cool was the way that the family that you're following, the Kim family, is a family of people who are struggling. Uh, now, it's kind of like they're they're funny and they're sort of down on their luck. And, but at the same time, you kind of root for them, despite the fact that what they're doing is decidedly a very uh, kind of horrible thing. And you can tell they love each other. Oh, yeah. Like there's like, yeah, it's just, there's just, it's sort of really interesting how like there's like you have this one family, the Park family, that is ridiculously rich, rich and wealthy more more so than they probably need the the matriarch in that family the mother in that family like she is completely oblivious uh and 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 almost dumb uh in some ways and the guy the father mr uh, Mr. park he's i don't know like he he definitely comes across as kind of a a, you know a prejudice you know he's got he's very prejudicial and it's easy to to root for like the people who are committing this crime of uh, of fraud and weaseling their way into this other family. But at the same time, like what they're doing isn't good, but like you can kind of justify and understand it. So I thought like the complexity of that, like how it, how I kept going back and forth in my brain. I'm like, am I supposed to root for them? Am I not supposed to root for them? Do I want them to get yeah, like, at the end? Like early on you feel like, okay, well maybe this guy, maybe she's like addicted to drugs and all that stuff. But then like, as you go and you realize like, no, they they love each other. They have, they have a family and even though they have their problems you know they they still are there for each other and they love each other very much that kind of culminates at that last little scene where they're yeah. having that birthday party and everything so it's like i think you're just like oh no 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 yeah. it's just very it's, very weird it's just it's it's interesting how the the movie kind of explores and like com- uh, you know and complicates who you're supposed to root for and then the comeuppance and what what befalls everyone as the movie progresses, and even the the surprising turn, I think, despite it being kind of creepy and weird, nonetheless, is kind of also heartbreaking at the same time. So, I really really enjoy it. Uh, definitely, this is a movie I have been I've been telling people at my work like, go see this. It's good. It's good. Trust me, or get it off Amazon Prime because I think you can rent it from there right now. Uh, so, I think. I def I think it's the it's of the three movies I've seen by him. It's my fa- it's it's now my favorite. So I've seen the, seen the three movies. This is definitely my favorite. Uh, but I love the other two as well. Uh, there's it's got universal acclaim, Rotten Tomatoes, audience score, all that kind of stuff is fairly high. It won the awards. So uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna like it, but it certainly means that there's a lot of people who are liking it. So maybe you'll enjoy it. With that, uh, let's uh, let's shift now, and we're gonna talk spoilers. We're gonna blow the ending and stuff like that. So if you don't want to have that weird twist spoiled if you don't want to have the ending spoiled because there is some surprising stuff that happens in this movie uh you definitely don't want to listen uh, any further so let's talk twist um i knew that there was a twist coming like i knew like somebody mentioned how not so much a twist but that there's a shift like there's there's a complication added to the story about midway through that you think the movie's one thing 
and then it turns into another thing. Because in the first hour, there's a it's a lot of comedy, man. Like it's really funny. Like there are some really funny moments, like the silliness of the of the kid and his art, uh, the way in which the sister pretends to be this art therapist and just totally shuts out the mother yeah, it's, is it's very innocent. Awesome. It's so funny. And you're thinking, oh, this is just kind of silly. They're sort of taking advantage of these rich people. And like, honestly, I'm okay with that, right? Like, who's, who's, it <laughs> who's, who's it really hurting? It's hurting the rich people. And like, you know, are people really going to be too upset about that? They're Probably giving, not. Right. They're giving them a good service. And it's they're, like they're, they're doing they're, what they're supposed to be doing, right? But yeah. they're they're just like cutting corners to get access to those jobs because every one of the family. So the first one, the first one of the Kim family to get the job uh, was the was the son who becomes the English tutor. And he does actually tutor her. And they kind of have like a romantic relationship with the daughter. And then the daughter of the Kim family, who's a little bit older than the son, uh, she comes along to basically be the art therapy uh, instructor for the the little boy and honestly seems to help him because he's like a crazy kid running around all over the place. And she seems to give him some structure and gets the mother out of his hair and stuff like that. Then like the 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 driver for the father who i don't know I, he didn't seem like a bad guy I, I don't know he was hitting on the on the 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 kim daughter once but it didn't seem like horrible he's trying to get a date he's trying to get a date they frame him uh and they get him kicked out so that the father can now you know father kim can now come in and be the driver and then finally they boot out the old uh the old housekeeper so that the mother mother king can come in but then we learn later as part of the twist that the housekeeper that they booted out, she was full of crap too. So it's like this family was getting scammed and conned even before the Kim family came around. So, which is really, really fascinating. But all of it's kind of funny. All of it's kind of lighthearted. I mean, yes, like it's like there is some imagery, like the, the moment when they're in, when the Kim family is in their rundown apartment and they're eating like, like, you know, soy packets. And then all of a sudden, the like the the the, ter- the the Terminator people, Terminator people, yeah, like they come around and they're spraying like all these terrible fumigation fumes, and they're like, yeah. no, leave the windows open so we can get the bugs away. Like it's awful. Like they're inhaling poison, and like it's almost like there's a, there's there's a level of satire there that's wonderful because on the one hand it's funny, but on the other hand it's shining a light on this sort of like, inequality of social class, right? But once that turn hits, then the stakes of the movie shift. And it's like, holy crap, like this could go seriously wrong and people can get seriously hurt and people do get seriously hurt. So one of the things I thought but, was interesting was like how early on you, you can almost like, well, they could kind of talk their way out of this and be fine, right? Like they could be like, listen, we did this. We, 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 you know, they could maybe even like, if they confess, they could get away with it. Right. But yeah. then towards the end, t- towards the middle of the movie, like, nope, not anymore. Nah, the point they of no return. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's for a rough. while they just lied on their resume. Like, okay, like that's not great. Don't get me wrong. Like you shouldn't do that. But like, they certainly that's effectively, they lied on their resume to get jobs, but they were still doing the jobs that they were supposed to be doing. So it's like, okay, it's not the worst thing. It's not very, it's not, it's not super ethical, but like, they're really poor and they need jobs and they need some sort of way in and they found a way in. So, but they were still doing what they're supposed to be doing. Now that turn, which is really fascinating. So what basically happens in the movie, if you're, if you're listening and you haven't watched, you're, you're crazy. You should stop listening to this and you should go watch the movie instead, but I'm going to explain it anyway. About midway through the movie, 
the Park family, the wealthy folk, they are going on a trip, a camping trip, because their son's it's 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 their son's birthday and they're gonna go on a camping trip. And the Kim family, the they all stay at the park's house while they're gone. Now they're not supposed to, only the housekeeper, so the mother is only supposed to be there, but all of them stay there. And they basically have the run of the house. They're jumping on their beds, they're eating all their food, they're drinking their booze, they're just they're just being, you know, being whatever. They're acting like this is where they live. And it's raining, and then they get this strange, they get the strange ring of the doorbell, and it's the old housekeeper who they they got out. They they got kicked out. And she left something, she says, in the basement. And then <laughs> she goes into the basement. I don't know, I still understand why they let her in. Like I wouldn't have let her in. I'd be like, nope, you got fired. Sorry, get out. Uh, but hidden beneath the entire house is this old like panic room bomb shelter type because this is South Korea and there's like an explanation for it and the idea that like they were worried about North Korean bombs and stuff like that. And so this is just a safe, like it's like a safe house basically. And the house, the old housekeeper's husband is down there and he's been down there for several days without her being able to check on him because she got fired. And he is like, he's in debt and he's, he's kind of crazy. And he's also in debt for the same reason that their father's in. Exactly. He, he, he invested in a bakery and it went under and he owned a lot of debtors money. So he was, just, he was trying to hide out from them from under there until it went away. And so they just like wanted his was, money. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like he was serving a sentence for his misgivings, you know, which is fascinating happens, considering how it happens. Yeah. How it ends. Yeah, and it happens later where it's like, you basically did that. It's like, yeah, it's very interesting how they kind of, it's very, the movie's very poetic. And he, There's so much poetry in the movie. He gets no real access to the outside world. Like every now and then, like he might be able to come out from the the doldrums of this this place. But like for the most part, he is down in this windowless cell where he's just hiding out. And what comes really fascinating is he starts to like idolize the father of the Park family because as being his provider, right as you give me shelter, you give me food as the food that they're taking from the, you know, from, from the park family and giving to him. And then he starts to idolize and to the point where he, there's this, there's this weird thing on the wall where it's accessing the various, uh, the various lights as the, you know, on the entrance way into the house. And like, whenever he knows that the father's coming home, he starts to sort of communicate in Morse code with it, which is just bonkers. And you know, from the get go, this guy's crazy. Like this guy who this, the, the housekeeper's husband is insane. And it makes sense that he's insane because he's not eating and he's not getting fresh air and he's being kept away from society. He's being locked in a cell. It's what the hell, man. But then the, both the husband, the crazy husband and that, and the old housekeeper discover that the, the Kims are phonies. And then there's this leverage now, and that's where the stakes of this movie get raised because she threatens to out them, right? And they're like, no, don't out us. And so now, like, craziness ensues, and people physically get hurt because of it. Like, I don't know, man. When that, like, when we were going down the staircase for the first time into the bomb shelter, I was thinking, okay, maybe this is a supernatural horror movie. And I was thinking that because I didn't really know, you know, I didn't really look into it too much. I wanted to be surprised. But then when it happens, like even though it didn't go that route, it still went such a horrific route, it's, nonetheless. It's probably creepier than if exactly, it was yeah. supernatural thing. Because like it's it's very interesting how much parallel lives the life between two groups of people. And 
how things turn so south so quick. It's as simple as get out of the kitchen. She kicks her and she basically uh, kills the housekeeper, right? Uh, she doesn't kill her no, immediately. It's just bangs her head. She time. falls yeah. down the stairs and eventually it gets a concussion, falls asleep and eventually dies. Yeah, All she, while she, her husband is tied up back in the cells. They're, they're tying everyone back in because the Park family is coming home early. And so now they're scrambling to hide any signs that they were doing things they weren't supposed to do. So they're shoving the housekeeper and the crazy husband back down into this bomb shelter. They're tying him up and they're closing the door and he's got to watch helpless as his wife dies in yeah. front of him. Holy. It just, it's, it's horrifying. Crap, man. And then it all culminates at the end. So they have the party for the boy and he escapes and the, the, the crazy guy. Yeah. The, yeah. The youngest son, the, the son tries, tries to finish the job by going in there and, and bashing him over the head with a giant rock that was given to him as a gift. For it's an interesting, a, that's an interesting recurring yeah. object. Yeah. And he goes down there and he pretty much just like misses and like the guy catches him and like ties him up. And then he hits, he hits, <laughs> he hits his in the head with the rock. And then there's a pretty brutal part where he hits him again. And it's, it's just very, that image of oh. him standing over top or looking at it from the side. And we see, we see crazy husband standing over stop, lifts the rocks over his head while Kiwu is bleeding out on the ground already. And he just drops the rock right on Kiwu's head again. I'm like, holy crap. Like that was just, it's that so image brutal. is awesome. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's not gory. Like, I don't want to suggest like this is, this is some sort of gory horror film. It's not, but like, it's just, it's graphic in the sense like, holy crap, that like normally films, turn away you know or they it's usually they, a hard cut at that point. yeah or like they just show half of it they just show him swinging his arms and then you hear the crunch you don't actually see the head getting hit and then yeah, you see hit. the whole thing yeah you see the whole thing and it's like but again it's not i, I don't want to suggest that it's just like this gruesome exaggerated horror scene it is not it is brutal in its simplicity uh and then the, the guy goes crazy and he wants to kill the Kim family and it makes perfect sense. Why? Right? Like they killed his wife. Like that's what they did. They killed his wife. And so he goes on this rampage. What'd you think of the ending where like, where the, where father Kim is, is having, is looking at his daughter who is stabbed and dying because the crazy husband stabs her and she is dying amidst this, this, elite rich crowd this elite rich birthday party and no one's helping her it's just them yeah, helping each other it's it's just Ugh. very interesting like how because they mentioned like he doesn't like the driver's smell because he smells yeah. like or basically he smells like he radishes smells like yeah the subway and everything it smells and poor. like they 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 seem like they they're they're friends right throughout the whole thing but when shit hits the fan he could give less of a crap about who they are and what's happening this girl is dying on the floor, bleeding out, and he just is like, "Give me my keys so I can get out of here." Like, yeah, yeah. Screw you, buddy. Just run. I don't get. How are you? me? Yeah. There's one guy. There's like eighty of you. Why can't? It, yeah. It's like it created like yes. This guy seems like he is there to help you. Seems like he cares. But when push comes to shove, you're on your friggin' own. Yep. And I don't care what happens to you. I care about what happens to me, which is the major metaphor of the entire movie where the guy's trying to get across of like, there's clear lines in society mm -hmm. sometimes. And even though it seems like we're all in it together, people are just out for their own friggin' selves. When, it, when things happen, yep. if, if someone comes for my shit, 
I don't care about you. I care about my shit. That's just yeah. how it goes. It's the way life is. And so no matter how idolized we can make these people, how great they seem, uh, despite those things, how, how great they may, they may feel to you, when, when things go raw, you don't matter to them if you're not their blood. It's just the way it is. Or if you're not part of their su- survival or the way that they want to prosper in life, which is yeah. the main role of the whole, this whole, one really of, well put out and it wasn't seriously ham-fisted like you can do the same story and really ham-fist the hell out of it but yeah. it was just kind of subtle and nice how they were doing it and it became so brutal at the end one of the things i really liked and i mentioned before is how the movie kind of complicates the question of who you root for like it, it like blurs the line between right and wrong and like there's people there's people who you think are the good people that you should be sympathetic towards that are doing some awful things and there are people that you probably shouldn't be sympathetic to or maybe you're envious or jealous of that are they seem like victims but also then other times seems like horrible people because they were not willing to help out this poor young woman who's dying in front of them in their own backyard when the fa- when father kim stabs father park man i was just like i get it and i'm cool with it like and i and i feel like and it was like kind of chilly to think that in my head like to rationalize that like he just flat out murdered father park like wasn't self-defense he just did it because he was pissed that father park was was not helping and was was basically conveying this idea that i am me and mine are better than you and yours and so and that's really what this movie's about like father park and his people are better than father kim and their people and father kim wouldn't have any and stabs him and it just it was was reinforced earlier too where it's like hey i'm paying you for this man so you gotta help me out and like they didn't invite them over for their good the good of them they They, invited them over because they're like we're gonna pay you right yeah we're gonna pay you we don't really think of you guys as friends you're just the help exactly essentially and like the kid will just like you here so i'll pay for you it's just like that's not a friendship and so then like the end of the movie is really interesting because it flash forwards like like there's there's definitely some resolution. The daughter Kim dies. It's like boom, she just dies, like done. Uh and then Mother Kim and and Ki Woo, uh this you know, the son, the two of them survive and they get in trouble, but they're eventually like kind of let out with relatively slaps on the wrist. Ki Woo, despite the fact that he had that horrible bashing of his head, he gets this surgery. The question is, though, where is Father Kim? Because everybody wants to know where Father Kim is because Father Kim killed Father Park. And so, like, there's a manhunt now, you know, for for this guy who killed Father Park, and they never find him. And, I mean, I knew, I mean, obviously, I knew, like, I don't, you know exactly where he's at. Like, he's he's in the cell. Like, he he snuck back into the house and hid himself inside the bomb shelter beneath the park house. And he essentially gave himself yeah. a prison sentence. Yeah, exactly. Basically, he did. And, and then he's, the entire time, he's, oh, he's feeling man. remorse and he's like, he's sorry for the things he did. He realized, like, he served a sentence, like, when it's over, you know, he got away with it. You're like, he didn't really get away with it. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't. Just, and, like, and the whole Morse code stuff, because he's using the various junction boxes and the lights to communicate with Morse code to send a message out there for Ki Woo, his son, who he assumes is still out in the world. And Ki Woo does get that message. And the message is like, you know, basically it's a letter saying, I'm sorry, like, blah, 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 blah. But here's what's really heartbreaking. Like th- this is this is like the ending that was so so good because Ki Wu learns that his father is still in that sub basement that he's living there, and that's where he's he's isolated himself. 
And so Ki Wu has this voiceover and we get this montage and how he's saying he's going to be better. He's going to get a job. He's going to gain wealth. He's going to gain power and prestige and he's going to buy that house. And then you're going to be able to walk up out of that basement and you're going to be able to be in the backyard with us. And we see all of this happening only for the final image of the movie to be, no, that's not actually really what's happening. It's just, he's in his old crappy sub floor basement apartment where they got fumigated and where there's ticks and where it floods all the time and he isn't anything. And I can't help but think to me that he's never going to gain that kind of wealth and that kind of power to gain. And he's never going to see his father again. And it's just such a heartbreaking end to me because it's like, he's thinking he's going to do this and he's going to do this and he's going to see his father again. No, he's not like he's not because of where he is in life. The notion that people start off on equal playing fields is ridiculous. It, it, they don't, as we can see, they don't. He is so far behind before he even gets to start that there's no way he's ever going to attain the level to where he'll be able to see his father again. It's like heartbreaking, man. Like it was just like, oh, what a kick in the what a kick in the stomach at the end. All right, so that's about it. We've been we've been talking for a while. I love the movie. I think it's fantastic one of the best movies i've seen in the last few years uh i think justin you're high on it but maybe not as high as i am is that about right i'd say i still like the host a little bit better sure i, I like it a lot but for me i just like well, i saw the host when it first came out like dvd i really really remember loving it so yeah. uh, I, i'd say the host is probably just a little bit higher than this yeah one. fair enough uh okay so that's it for parasite definitely can go see that right now you can go it's like about a 4.99 rental from prime video uh and wherever else it might be i wonder if they're going to do a re-release uh, since it won the oscar we'll see probably uh, they'll probably do something like that probably for like all the big movies like jojo be. rabbit and everything and yeah Joker. take a tt uh, okay, so uh, for us, we're going to close this episode down. If you like what you're hearing, if you want to get in touch with us, give us some ideas and other things that we can read and review or play, uh, you can catch me on Twitter at LollygaggerCo. You can catch Justin uh, at BuysJust. You can also just go up on our website, thelollygaggers.com, uh, where you can get access to all our episodes of both podcasts, both the Lollygaggers podcast, this one, and Adventures in Lollygagging. Uh, and also some of Justin's videos that he's been doing uh, over on Mixer, mixer.com slash Jehufa. We're reposting a lot of his WoW raids. And you can also go over to Twitch, twitch.tv slash the lollygaggers, uh, where we have started to actually use our Twitch account uh, and do some actual play, live play games of some RPGs. Uh, this just a few just a few days ago, we did Shinobagami. Uh, so you can still catch it. It's in the 14 day window. You can kind of see that up on Twitch. We're going to I'm going to go ahead and repost it at some point to YouTube and probably uh, strip the audio and send it out as a bonus episode. Uh, but uh, you can get you can definitely go take a look at it now. It's a lot of fun. And if you want to see us play it again, we're going to be uh, playing a brand new Shinobagami story, so a ninja story, uh, on uh, Sunday, February 16th, so around 8 p.m. Mountain Time. So that's, Shin- that's uh, twitch.tv slash the lollygaggers. Uh, all right, Justin. So the end of the episode, I have a question for you. We just watched uh, a movie, talked about a movie where everyone in the family had a particular skill that they were able to introduce into sort of some sort of rich household. Uh, Justin, what what role would you take, either the one we've seen or maybe create a brand new one? What could you do to con a rich family into thinking that you are actually uh, competent at something? I would just do my Arnold impersonation for them, and that would somehow... They're like, oh my God, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. I can't believe he's here. That would give me all the money. So I just kind of banged on that. I don't know how I'm going to turn into money. Uh, we're just going to have to brainstorm it a little bit, but that's what I'm going to do. I've so, heard that your Arnold's getting kind Arnold. of rusty. Uh, I haven't heard uh, 
That's impossible. You sound you sound ignorant right now. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Take it easy, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>